Oh, we have had uh, a wonderful four days together. It has been great. And we have uh, greatly, greatly enjoyed being here with you guys. And um, certainly our commitment is when we come back again to California, we'll, we'll come and be with you in church again and come and join what we feel is a very important part of the body of Christ right here. God is moving all around the world. We are really excited about what's happening here. But there's also a growing movement as I have more and more conversations with some of you about some of you coming down and visiting us. So maybe you've had that thought or maybe you just need to put that thought into uh, some of the people here in the church. We, we do host uh, an awful lot of short-term mission teams that come down for 12 days to two weeks. And we would love to have uh, a group from this church come. Um, it's not just for students. Um, we do a lot of student teams, but we do adult teams. We do family teams. Um, and it would be great to put together a team from church here and have you guys come down and join us on, uh, on our side in Ecuador. So it's just a little public service announcement, a little, uh, little commercial, if you will. And so if that would be the desire of your heart and you say, hey, that would be cool, then maybe uh, begin to talk to the leadership here about thinking about that. Hey, let's, uh, let's continue on what we've been talking about, uh, walking with God. On Sunday we began out of Isaiah 43, talking about the big picture. And it was a couple days ago, but I hope that is still fresh in your mind that you were created, you were formed. And God said you are to be His witnesses to know Him, to believe Him, and to understand that He is God. And in all of that, we need to take ourselves a little less seriously and God a little more seriously. We talked Monday out of uh, Matthew 28, talk a little bit about the process. And out of that, really identifying in our own lives how important it is in that process that we be honest with God and honest with each other. In the great times when we celebrate with each other the amazing things God is doing and in those really difficult times too. I shared with you about my youngest son at Wendy's restaurant just in a moment of vulnerability saying, Hey, Dad, ah, i got a tough question. And I was excited about that question. Because he told me where he was at. It told me that he felt comfortable enough with me to ask that question. And we need to be there with each other. Last night we spent some time in Mark and then in Luke. Really peeking into a conversation that Jesus had with someone wanting to debate the law. And asking that question, what's it all about? And Jesus coming back saying, you know what? What it's really all about is loving me with everything you have and loving the people around you. And shared with you uh, how God really drilled me with that through a young man by the name of Alex. Tonight I want to continue um, with that. I don't want to pray, but when we're done praying, I, I want to ask you this question. Do you ever wonder what God says about you? Do you ever wonder what God says about you? We can see in Scripture that God definitely has conversations with the people, with the angels, even sometimes with Satan himself. God has those conversations. He has talked about Moses. In fact, he called Moses his friend. He said, I talked to Moses as a friend talks to a friend face to face. He talked about Job. We can see from Scripture God has conversations about people on this planet. I wonder if you've ever thought about that question. What? Does God say about you when he has a conversation and your name comes up and he brings up your name? What does he say? We're going to begin our journey tonight in Matthew chapter 11 and eavesdrop at a conversation Jesus had. But let's pray first. Lord, I do thank you so much again for tonight. Thank you for this group of believers here. Lord, I pray that you would continue to move in this place. Thank you for the journey that they have been on over the years. 
And Lord, I thank you that that's a journey that has had you out in front. I pray that that would continue, but Lord, more than just having you out in front, I pray that you would be in their midst, you would be encouraging them, but Lord, at times you'd be making them uncomfortable. Lord, I pray that you would keep this body here from complacency. Keep them from looking behind them too much and not in the moment and out in the future. Lord, thank you for the incredible blessings, incredible provision behind us. And yet I thank you that you promise to walk with us every day, today and tomorrow and the weeks to come. And so I pray that we would eagerly anticipate all that you're going to do in us and through us. And Lord, I just want to stop right now too and I want to thank you for the many, many places around the world that even as we are meeting here, the believers are meeting in your name. Lord, they'll open your word tonight, so I pray that as we do that and as they do that, that you would speak to them. Lord, I thank you that even as your spirit is here, your spirit is in those places. And so move. Draw people to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would do that here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, Matthew chapter 11, that's where I'd like you to turn to begin. We're going to move to a couple different places tonight, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 11 as we contemplate that question. What, what, what was God, what does he say about you? And when he has a conversation and your name comes up, what does he say? I wonder how he describes you. I wonder how he describes me. I see a place here in Matthew chapter 11. It's Jesus really interacting with Some of John the Baptist's disciples, John's in prison at this point, and he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one? And Jesus says, go back and report to John in verse 4, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And then in verse 7, I love this conversation. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. I would like to think at this point that those disciples of John, they stopped. Because they heard this guy, Jesus, beginning to talk about John. He turns to the crowd and he asks this question, What what, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? There's some sarcasm in his voice when he said that. If not, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, and check out what he says about John. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. What a great thing to have said about you. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And then you jump down to 18, for John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, they say here he's a glutton. And a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. And I love that Jesus described John the Baptist here as a forceful man. And he said, until John, until now, the kingdom has been forcefully advancing. And I want to challenge you tonight to think about, is your life being forcefully led for Jesus? Are you willing to say that if the kingdom is going to advance in this place where we live, if the kingdom is going to advance around the world, then we are going to have to be like John the Baptist. We are going to need to be forceful men and women. Because there's way too many people who are like reeds swaying in the wind. 
There's way too many people dressed in fine clothes who belong in king's palaces. And when Jesus described John the Baptist, he said, you know what? There's a guy. There's a guy who's getting it done. There's a guy who's forceful. And if we want to look behind us at the history of the church around the world, we're going to find men and women who forcefully have laid hold of the kingdom. And I believe if we're going to look ahead and we're going to look into the future and we're going to say, God, what is it that you're going to be doing in our midst? He's looking for forceful men and women to say, you know what? I'm willing. I'm willing, God. Here am I. Send me. But way too many times, way too many times what we want to say is that that's that's out there for the missionaries. That's out there for the missionaries. I told you this summer we were at a large camp, and i got to be really honest. I get really tired sometimes of being introduced as a missionary. Because several things happen for people when you get introduced as a missionary. One, you know, their eyes glaze back in their head because they get a lot of, a lot of preconceived ideas about them. Or sometimes, you know, their, their head just sort of cocks to the side because they go, oh, missionary, in their church, I, I know what that is. That's those people whose faces are on the back wall who we never see. You know, they just live out there somewhere, and, and occasionally we talk about them, and they show up in the bulletin. Or maybe they associate it with the guys in the white shirts with the little black badge. Those are missionaries. And I, and I quickly say, that's not me. That's not what I'm doing. Not really into riding bikes and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Oftentimes, the reason that I I get a little tired of the term missionary is way too many times in the conversation, I see that that word becomes a word that separates people. It's almost as if missionaries have swallowed a, a spiritual pill that's allowed them to do something or be something that's different than the average person. And oftentimes the term missionary, again, as I've shared with you over the last couple of days, becomes a, a multiple choice question. A few times this summer when I was done speaking, the person who came up after me would say something like this. Well, ah, that was, that was phenomenal. Great challenge. But if you can't do that, you also can give or you can pray. And I gotta be really honest. I, I talked to each one that each time that happened, I talked to him afterwards, but in the moment I wanted to scream, No. No. It's not a multiple choice thing. So what you're saying then is if if you can't make disciples, if you can't be one of those forceful people, then you can pray and give, and somehow that's what you're doing? So does that mean that if I'm making disciples, I don't have to pray and give? Oh, we don't want to go that far. But I think the term missionary is one that sometimes this summer and sometimes in my life, it's it's something that's implied choice. It's become a profession. Now, don't get me wrong, I love what I do. But being a missionary is not a profession. It's a responsibility. And maybe just for tonight, for a few minutes, I'd like to take that term missionary and maybe just put it behind us a little bit. Set it off to the side. And I want to replace it. I want to replace it with a a phrase. A phrase that I think would have described John the Baptist's life and and a phrase that I think God wants to describe every one of our lives. And that phrase is this. A fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. Fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. Will you say that with me tonight? Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to split it up here a little bit. You guys over here, you're going to be fully committed, okay? You're fully committed. You're no matter what happens. And you guys over here are a follower of God, okay? So let's just say that real quick, all right? You guys ready? Here we go. Fully committed. All right, good. Now, a little more energy, a little more passion. Okay, a little more excitement. Feel free to sweat. We can do that in here. Okay? Get towels. We'll be passing those out pretty soon. Here we go. You guys. Fully 
All right. All right. That's the term I want to chew on tonight a little bit. That's what I want to challenge you to think about. I want to kind of take that M word and just sort of put it off to the side and say, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about believers who are fully committed, no matter what happens, followers of God. Follower of God. That's pretty easy to define for us. That's someone who's given their heart, their life to Jesus. And said, you know what? At this point in my life, right now, I I want Jesus to come into my life, forgive my sins, be my Savior and my Lord. God, you have 100% of me, and I'm yours. God's Word says it's a free gift. I can't earn it. You you can't work hard. It's a free gift from God. That's what it means to be a follower of God. Fully committed. Fully committed says, you know what, I am in with both feet. I'm in with everything I have. A couple years ago, we were at a place called Magic Mountain. And my youngest son at that point loves roller coasters, still does. says, Dad, let's, let's go on that one over there. Goliath, it was the huge one. And not, we're not just going to sit anywhere. We're going to sit in the front row. Dad, that's where I want to be. Okay, let's do it. And we stood in line, and it was the longest line. It didn't matter. We made it all the way to the front. And Goliath, man, it just climbs, 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 climbs. You get up, I think it's about 15 stories when you get to the top. Well, as you pass on the freeway, you can see it. And I'm sitting next to him. I'm supposed to be the adult, right? <laughs> you know, our, our feet are just dangling there, and, and, and he's looking at me. You doing okay? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Oh, yeah. He's excited, you know, we're all buckled in, and, and, and you, if you've been the roller coaster, you know it's making that clicking sound. Click, 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 click. And, and I'm, you know, I'm just praying small things. Lord, help me not to throw up, you know. <laughs> we get to the very top, and, and you just, that moment where it stops clicking, and you sort of level out, and we're the first ones, and I'm up a little high in my seat, and you look over... And you're like, wow, that's a long ways down there. And he senses my fear and says, Dad, you okay? And I'm kind of like, does it matter at this point? (laughs) It really doesn't matter. Who cares how I am? In thousand one, thousand two, we were over the edge. And guess what? We were fully committed. (laughs) Fully committed. I couldn't get out of this car if I wanted to. That's where we need to look at our Christian lives and say, you know what? Through the up, through the journey, and through the top when it goes over, I'm fully committed. I am in. No matter what happens, no matter what happens is a decision I make in advance. That God, no matter what happens in this walk with you, I will trust you. In spite of my feelings, in spite of my emotions, in spite of whether I am doing really well or whether I'm struggling, it's what we witness in a, a marriage situation. Two weekends ago, I, I stood and, and performed a ceremony. And looked at that bride and groom and said, you know what, no matter what happens, till death does you part, you're committed. We need to think about that same thing in our relationship with God. Take your Bibles from Matthew, and I want you to turn back to the book of Esther. I want to show you what this looks like. Esther chapter 4, we're going way back, kind of go Psalms and just go left. Job and then Esther, and, and, and we're going to take a look at Esther chapter 4, and we're going to zero in tonight for a few minutes on what does it mean to be fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. I've given my life to Christ, I'm growing, I'm believing, and my actions show it. I am a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. We're going to take a look at Esther for a second. And if you're not familiar with Esther, the story of Esther, it's a phenomenal story. I'm surprised really that it hasn't been made into a movie because everything is here. You have the, the, the hero, you have the villain, you have you know, the female, you have, you have everything, suspense, drama. 
This would be one that I could see made into a movie today. Here's what's happening in Esther. There's a king. His name is King Xerxes. You can read about him in the beginning. King Xerxes has a queen. Her name is Vashti. And the king and the queen are in the kingdom. One day the king decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get all my buddies together and I'm going to show off the queen. I'm going to show off her beauty. I'm going to kind of put out my chest and say, you know what? Here we go. Guys, check out the queen. The only problem is the queen on that day says, you know what? I will not be a puppet to you. I will not just come at your whim. And and guess what? I'm not coming to your thing today. You're not going to show me off as I'm a possession. Well, that was probably a good decision for her, but it backfired. King Xerxes at that point heard about it, said to all his ruling council, okay, what should we do with her? If she will not obey the king, what are we going to do? And he says, okay, guess what? You're not the queen anymore. You're not. You're out. I've dismissed you as queen. Queen Vashti, guess what? You are now the ex-queen. You're out. Well, now you have a problem. You have a king in a kingdom with no queen. So he goes back to his royal advisors and he says, what should we do? And they said, you know what, you need a queen. Why don't we hold a contest here in the kingdom? And we'll bring, we'll bring the, the, the female people of the kingdom in and, and, and we can hold the whole contest. Beauty, character, skill, talent, do the whole thing. And so that's what they do. They start to bring in people out of the kingdom and they go through a, a, a panel of judges and their beauty and their character and all those things are looked at. Esther is one of those people that are in the, in the kingdom. She's just a common person. Esther's parents have died. She's being raised by her cousin named Mordecai. Mordecai's a little older. He's taking care of her. He's raising her. Mordecai suggests to her, you know what, maybe you should think about trying out for queen. And so she does that. She comes into the contest. The king sees her and says, contest over. She is the winner. Esther now has gone from common person in the kingdom to now being a queen. Oh, and by the way, she brings Mordecai with her. He gets a job in the kingdom too. King Xerxes, Queen Esther, Mordecai is in the kingdom working. Another guy, second in command, his name is Haman. Haman's pretty, uh, pretty pompous guy. Pretty prideful guy, used to people just kind of, you know, when, when Haman says something, people better jump to it. One day he sees Mordecai and he says, Mordecai, I want you to bow down to me. Mordecai says, I don't know who you are, but I'm not doing that. And Haman gets upset. And he says, you know what, I, I'll, I'll show you. In fact, I know that you're a Jew. Finds out a little bit about Mordecai's background and he says, you know what, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe out not only you, Mordecai, but I'm going to wipe out all the Jews. I'll show you. If you will not bow down to me, if you won't pay attention to me, then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe you out. Haman goes to the king, says, hey, king, I'll tell you what, here's what I'm thinking about doing. Jewish people here in the kingdom, they're a threat to you. Why don't we wipe them all out? King's kind of oblivious, says, sure, whatever. If that's what you want to do, great. Haman says, you know what, I'll even pay you a bunch of money. And here's what we'll do. Here's some money I'll put into the treasury of the kingdom, let's wipe out the Jews. So that's where we're at. Mordecai's a Jew. And oh, by the way, Esther's a Jew as well. King doesn't know it. King has a new queen. She's in the kingdom. Mordecai's in the kingdom. Haman's in the kingdom. King Xerxes is in the kingdom in charge. The order's been sent out. Take a look at chapter 4. That's what we're going to read. Esther chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. Biblical times, if you've been around your Bible, you know that when something horrible happened, what they did is they took their clothes and they tore them. As as a signal to everybody around them, there's nothing on my body more important than what's happening in my life right now. And I want people to know that I'm sad. I'm in distress. And then along with torn clothes, they would take ashes and they would put them upon themselves, really to signify if this thing keeps going, I'm going to come to ruin. Verse 3, in every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, fasting, weeping, wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. 
Now then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Remember, they have a relationship. They're actually cousins. Mordecai's raised Esther. She hears about it and says, okay, what's up with Mordecai? Somebody just told me he's got his clothes torn, so let me send new clothes for him. Word gets back to her, that's not the problem. He won't take the clothes. So she grabs one of her servants, Hathak, and says, okay, Hathak, you go have a conversation with him. Find out what's going on. Verse 6, so Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published, to show Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Mordecai says, okay, I'll tell you what the problem is. In fact, not only will I tell you about it, I'm going to send you the, the publication. It's, it's been published. And Esther, I think you should go in and you should plead for mercy. Hathak went back, verse 9, reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials, people of the royal province know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Esther says, Mordecai, great idea for me to go in and talk to the king. Only two problems. Problem number one, you can't just get to the king. You have to have an appointment or be summoned by him. And if you decide to just go in and bust through the doors and say, what's up, king? He's going to put you to death. He's got a gold scepter, and the only option is he can extend that gold scepter. And if he does, that will save your life. But, you know, he doesn't always do that. So great idea, Mordecai, but... It's been a month since he summoned me. Verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. See, Mordecai's a godly guy. Mordecai understands the big picture. Mordecai understands that the Jews are God's chosen people. And he's saying, you know what? God will take care of the Jews. Deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? Who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this? Who knows? Esther that maybe, just maybe, all that's happened in your life up until this point is for a purpose. Maybe, Esther, you went from common person in the kingdom to queen. You went from having no bank account to having everything. You went from doing your own laundry and cooking your own stuff to now you can't even sneeze without somebody being there with a Kleenex. Esther, maybe, just maybe, everything that's happened in your life has been building to this moment. And maybe, Esther, God's calling you to take responsibility and act for Him. Verse 15, And Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I, my maids, will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. And just in case we think she was only bluffing, look at the next verse in chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robe, stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. She did it. She heard the challenge from Mordecai to say, you know what? What is your life about? And remember how she came to power. 
She was in the kingdom. She heard about it when Queen Vashti got, got the boot out of the kingdom. She knew that King Xerxes had that kind of power to kick her out or put her to death. She knew what the rules were. She knew what the law was. And for three days, she wrestled. And for three days, she said, you know what? What am I going to do with my economic situation? Because it could evaporate right now. What do I do with my status? Because if this goes wrong, my status is gone. What do I do with all of these things? My reputation, my wealth, my time. The right thing for her to do would have been to play it safe. According to a lot of people. You know what? Something good will happen. Someone else will take care of it. But she reached the point of saying, you know what? If I perish, I perish. How in the world could she say that? Because I believe she was a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. She was somebody who said, you know what? What God wants in my life is more important to me than what I want in my life. And there's a a, a need that has risen around me that I have to do something about. And I'm willing to step out, even if it costs me my wealth, costs me my reputation, costs me my time, costs me my status, costs me everything, even if it costs me my very life, I will do it. And if we hunt in God's Word, we can see men and women who stand throughout all time, shoulder to shoulder with Esther, as fully committed, no matter what happens, followers of God. You can do it. You can open the pages. And you can see right here, you can see men and women that God called, they answered, they believed God. Even though they didn't know how it would turn out. They said, God, what you think is more important than what I think. And the need in front of me is big enough and great enough that I will give everything I have. Everything I have. I I look at Abraham and I see Abraham, and you know the story of Abraham. He had it all. Wealth, everything. And God said, you know what? I want you to go to a place and I'm not even going to tell you where it is. And he made a choice and said, okay, God, if that's what you're calling me to do, I'll do it. We took a look at Moses the other day. The same thing. Moses is out on his second career. And God interrupts his life and says, you know what? I want you to be the one who lead the people out of misery. I look at Noah. You know, Noah, I want to interrupt your life and I want you to build the largest thing you've ever seen. And I'm really not even going to tell you why. I look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Gospel Touch was singing about them. What a crazy story about a group of teenage boys that got kidnapped, taken to another culture, taught another language, taught all sorts of new things. Without their parents, without their family. They get new names. Everything's different for them except for one thing. My God is not going to be different. And then as young teenage boys, they're forced right there to say, you know what, when you hear the music, you bow down. And you worship a different God. And they say, you know what? I will not do that. And the king said, you know what? You guys are good guys. And, and you've obeyed the rules. And you're doing good. Just do it. And they said, absolutely not. We will not compromise. So guys, it's bad news. If you don't compromise, what's going to happen is, is you're going to get tossed into that fiery furnace. And kidnapped, raised in a different culture, taught a different language. They said, you know what? Our God is able to deliver us. But even if He doesn't, even if He doesn't, we're still going to follow Him. And then they're grabbed by some big old burly guards. And they're thrown into a fiery furnace. And Scripture tells us the fire was so hot that the guards that threw them in died. But not those guys. They're walking around. Hanging out. The officials say, hey, I thought we threw three of those guys in there. Looks like there's four in there. 
Yeah, there was four in there. The angel of the Lord stands there with them. How in the world could they do that? Because I believe they were fully committed, no matter what happens, followers of God. We turn to the New Testament, we look at the disciples. And, and they're average guys, they're business owners. They got great jobs, and Jesus steps into their life and says, You know what? I want you to put down your business. You don't even have time to sell it. Put it down, and I want you to follow me. And Scripture says that they tossed down their nets, and they followed Jesus. And things didn't always go the way they thought they were going to go. They were thinking, hey, this guy's got some good stuff going here, and he's eventually going to take over, and we'll be right there. There's a great day for them when Jesus preaches and there's 5,000 people, 5,000 men that are there and Jesus is preaching. And they've got to be looking around going, we knew this was going to be good. Hey, look at all the people. And then Jesus says to the crowd, you know what? Unless you're willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part of me. And the people say, well, oh, that's kind of weird. And Scripture says that the thousands of people left. That's bad church growth strategy right there. It really is. You know, a lot of church growth strategy today says, well, you made a, made a bad decision there. But what was Jesus doing? He was upping the ante. He was calling for their commitment. And then he turns to them and he looks at them and he says, you know what? Are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says, you know what? Where would we go? You have the words of life. And I think Jesus said, yes. Guys, you're getting it. You left your business. You've been with me. And what you are becoming is a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. I can see in Esther right here, that's who she was. I can look through Scripture and I can see men and women that were exactly like that. But it's not just in history. God is still looking for fully committed, no matter what happens, followers of God. We had a young man in our, our youth group. His name was Andy. Andy went to camp with us a number of years ago and got saved. He was in junior high at the time, getting ready to go into high school, and, and he got saved at camp, and some great things were happening in his life, and one of the greatest burdens for him was, you know what, I want my brother Brett to know about Jesus. And so we talked at camp. said, you know what, probably the greatest influence in Brett's life is going to be you. And so Andy said, you know what, I, I want to go home. I, I want to be different. They shared a room together. And Andy said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and I'm going to do the best I can to be fully committed no matter what happens, follower of God. And so at nighttime when they got ready to go to bed, Brett would say, hey, you ready for the light to go out? And Andy would say, you know what, not really. I'm going to spend some time reading the Bible. And he did. Brett was watching him for a year. He talked to Brett, sometimes about trivial stuff, and every once in a while about God. And, and a year later, camp was coming up. And Andy said to his brother, hey, would you be willing to go to camp with me? Personal invitation, brother to brother. And Brett said, you know what, I would. I would do that. Went to camp and had a great time. Tuesday night was decision night when the gospel was given. And our youth group knew about it. I knew about it. I was praying with Andy. So excited for him. Brett was there at the camp and was there in the meeting hall. And Tuesday night came and the guy Sharon shared the gospel clearly and, and gave students an opportunity to give their life to Christ. If you want to know more about Jesus, I want you to stay. And if not, I want you to get up and in a discipline of silence, you can leave. He prayed and said amen. Students got up and Brett got up and he walked out the door. And he came to me in tears. He said, you know what, for a year, for a year I've been asking God. And he came to camp. He's here. I said, Andy, you know what, your job's not to save him, man. Your job's to be a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. 
Let's pray right now for breath. And we stopped. We prayed. Andy prayed again. God, save my brother. I'm not kidding you. As we said amen, picked up our eyes, the doors opened, and Brett walked back in. He walked down the aisle to us, and he looked at us standing there, and he said, you know what, I went outside, but I know that I need Jesus. And Andy and I had the privilege of sitting down with his brother, leading him to Christ. For a year, a junior high kid going into high school said, you know what, I don't have it all figured out. I'm going to make mistakes in my life, but I want to be a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. Two weeks ago, I was sitting with a young man by the name of Brian, worked for the city of Fairfield, not too far from here. He was left high school, and he was in between. He's working for the city, working in the roads, making sidewalks and concrete and all sorts of stuff, saying, you know what, God, I'm not sure what I want to do with my life, but I, I got this job, and I want to be fully committed to you. So part of what that meant for him is that every day at break, he would take his Bible, and he would open it up. Young high school kid, you know, working with, with grown men. And, and he said, you know, I, I felt a little intimidated, but I just felt like that's what God wanted me to do. number of weeks went by, and every day at break, he would sit and read his Bible. A couple weeks into the job, one of the older guys came over and said, hey, what are you reading? What are you doing? I see you doing this every day. What's going on? And Brian said, you know what? I, I'm a Christian, and I'm reading God's Word, and this is an opportunity that I get. The guy says, well, tell me what you're reading. Brought him to Jesus right there. Right there. That older gentleman got up, and the next day, he's at break, shared with one of his friends, led one of his friends to Christ. A week later, another guy who got saved, he went down to another department and led another guy to Christ. Eight people came to Christ. Because Brian was willing to say, you know what, I want to be a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. And for me, what that means is when I sit at my break, I can eat my donuts and my Coke or whatever I'm going to do, but I'm going to open up God's Word. It's the time I have. And I'm young, I'm just out of high school, and these guys kind of intimidate me a little bit, but, but God, I, I'm here, and I want to know your word. As I sat with this young man at a table up at Hume Lake a couple weeks ago, he said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm looking at ministry, and I, and I want to be a pastor. Not sure where that's going to take me. But I said, you know what, just stay on track where you're at. Fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. Donna and Bill, another couple I met. Bill's been working for the California Youth Authority. Had an amazing career with them. And Donna's been working with a drama team in her church. They live up in the Sacramento area. And we were talking one day, and, and, and I said to her up at camp, hey, hey, tell me what's going on in your life. She said, oh, really exciting. She said, we're actually getting ready for a career change. I said, really? You know, what's happening? She said, well, you know, Bill's been working for California Youth Authority the last 20-something years. He's getting ready to retire. And she said, you know what we're doing? We're going full-time to the mission field. She said, I, I know it's kind of crazy. My, my husband's 63, and I'm 60. But we are so excited about what God's going to do in us and through us. We've been faithful where we were. We've been serving him, and now this opportunity has come up, and they're going to lead short-term teams for HCJB. And they're going to take teams around the world and do ministry. 63 and 60, still saying, I want to be fully committed no matter what happens, follower of God. It's teenagers. It's older people. It's a young man by the name of Freddie. Freddie grew up in Indonesia. Last January of this year, Freddie turned 10 years old. A buddy of mine named Ron, who was just over in Indonesia, came back. He was there training pastors. And he and I sat at a school event at the end of this last school year. And I, I said, Ron, tell me about Indonesia. How was it? And he said, it was incredible and it was horrible all at the same time. And he started to tell me about Freddie. See, Indonesia is one of those places in the world where it's not the easiest thing to be a Christian. Freddie turned 10 and he was excited because 10 years old meant he could go away to camp. And so at 10 years old, he jumped on a bus and outside the city where he lived in Indonesia, he went to a camp where he heard about Jesus. Stayed in a cabin, had a counselor. The last night of camp, they gave the gospel, and Freddie said, at 10 years old, I want to know Jesus. 
put up his hand and met with a counselor and invited Christ into his life. Led him to Christ and gave him a Bible. Freddie took that Bible and they, they showed him the Gospels. They showed him how to get started. Next day, camp was over. They jumped on the bus and Freddie jumped on with his luggage and the rest of the campers and counselors and riding in the bus, he's got his Bible in his hand. One day old in his faith. He's headed back to his town and about halfway on the journey, the bus driver looks up and sees some guerrilla soldiers and, and they have a roadblock. Guerrilla soldiers are absolutely against Christians and Christianity of any kind. So the bus driver, he pulls the bus over and he says to the counselors and leaders on the bus, you know what, that roadblock is not good. Here's the deal, everybody get off the bus, grab your stuff, run for those trees and maybe you can escape. Ten-year-old Freddie, one day old in his faith, jumped off the bus. Started running for the trees, but he's ten years old. These guys were a grown man. And they quickly catch up to him and circle him. Start pushing him around, giving him a hard time. Say, hey, where have you been? He said, you know what, I've been at a camp. What happened at that camp? Well, they, they, a lot of things happened, but one of the things that happened, Freddie said, is, is they told me about Jesus, and I became a Christian. What's that you got in your hand? And he said, well, it's a Bible. They gave me a Bible. I became a Christian last night. Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. Soldiers said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you just an opportunity to throw your Bible down and tell us that Christianity doesn't matter in your life and we'll let you go. And Freddie said, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I gave my life to Jesus last night. I'm a Christian. Soldiers pushed him around a few times. Said, okay, this is it, last opportunity. Here's what we're going to do. Throw your Bible down. Tell us that Christianity doesn't matter. Freddie said, you know what, I'm not going to do that. The soldier grabbed a machete and cut off his arm at, at the elbow. Later on, cut off his other arm and later on took his life. The guy who was there, eyewitness, had told my friend Ron about it, said just before Freddie died, he looked up into the heavens and said, you know what, God, I'm coming home to you. How does a 10-year-old boy, one day old in his faith, get it? Because he was a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. Understood that, you know what, when I invite Jesus into my life, it's not just about me. It's a privilege and it's a responsibility and I belong to God. And I'm committed, ten years old, one day old in my faith. To realize that, you know what, my life belongs to God. Scripture tells us that God is looking for those people today. Second Chronicles 16.9 says that. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth. Looking for those whose hearts are fully given to him. So that he may strengthen them. Sometimes our fear is. You know what God if I really put it out there. I'm going to be by myself. And God says you will not be by yourself. I will strengthen you. God's looking for fully committed, no matter what happens, followers of God. He's looking for them at your school. He's looking for them where you work. He's looking for them every single day where you're at. He's also looking for people that are willing to impact the globe for Him. Six billion people live on this planet. An awful lot of them don't know about Jesus. Now, I wonder if we've thought about that. I wonder if you'd say, you know what, no matter what my age, no matter what my status, no matter what my reputation, God, I want to be a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. I want you to think just for a second about what you have on your body. I want you to think about what you have on your body, and I want you to do a little mental math. I want you to take just a second and add up What's on your body right now and how much it would cost to replace what you have on your body? Okay? Would you do that with me? Take just a second. Think about what you have. Your shoes, your pants, your watch, your jewelry, your glasses. How much do you have represented on your body right now? 
Okay, do a little mental math. And think about that just for a minute. If you're wearing glasses, contacts, braces, jewelry, whatever it is, how much do you have on your body? I'm not going to make you share it out loud. But I want you just to stop for a second. Think about what you have on your body. You got it? How many people are over $50? How many people over $75? How many people over $100? $150? Put your hands down. We can keep going. Here's the point. Do you know that 25% of the people who live on this planet, 25%, one in four people live on less than a dollar a day? One dollar a day for everything. Their food, their shelter, their health care, their retirement. A dollar. And we haven't even stopped to think about what I have in my closet or what I have in my garage or what I have in my storage unit. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself that question? God, why did you give me all this stuff? Why do I have all that I have? You know, Mordecai said to Esther, maybe, just maybe, Esther, God has given you everything you have. And he's calling you to use it for him. Esther, your status. Esther, your reputation. Esther, your riches. Esther, everything. To be a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. And Esther wrestled with that and came to the conclusion that nothing I have is more important than following God. And if I perish, I perish. And maybe, just maybe, God has put you in the home you're in, the job you're in, given you all that He's given, not so that you can feel guilty, but maybe so you can feel responsible. Because Scripture says, to whom much is given, much is what? Required. So God, what are you calling me to do? How are you calling me to live? Because way too many times we want to live in such a way that even though I go to church and I love God and I'm committed to Him, it's still about me. I've carried this little globe with me most of the summer. I've done a lot of speaking about the world, but one of the things that's happened to me over and over again is I've had it in my hands... I find myself looking at countries. I find myself thinking about different places. I find myself wondering, you know what? What what are those people doing there? As I'm here, what are those people doing in that country? And who's telling these people about Jesus? I think about a country like China, where there are literally millions of people in China who do not know Christ. You know what they want to know? They want to know English. And you could leave tomorrow, teach English, and tell people about Jesus. A lot of times we go, well, I'm not really equipped to, to go some other place. I don't know a language. You ever thought, you know, maybe, God, why did you te- allow me to learn English? Maybe some of us need to think about moving to China and teaching English. Using God's Word to teach English. There's people doing it right now. I know English. I could do that. Maybe we need to think about a gigantic place like Africa where, again, there are millions of people without their parents. You know what they want? They want something to eat. They want something to drink. They want someone to say, you know what? You matter. I love you. How do I tell you about somebody who loves you as well? I could do that. I told you the other day about the country of Turkey. 70 million people in Turkey. 
3,000 evangelical Christians. What about the 69 million who don't know about Christ? Fully committed no matter what happens, follower of God. Some lessons really quick that I see out of the book of Esther. In order for her to take this stand, she needed the community around her. It was not a decision she made by herself. It was Mordecai who said, you know what? Maybe God has called you for this moment. And Esther, I think that you can do it. Mordecai believed in her and then said, you know what? You're not on your own. I will fast and pray with you. I will get the people around me to do it. And you get your maids to do it. It was a community that played a role. And if you and I want to be fully committed, no matter what happens, followers of God, it's going to take a community of believers around us who support us, who love us, who pray for us, but who challenge us, who sometimes get in our face and say, you know what? Maybe it's time for some of us to say for me to be fully committed no matter what happens means that I maybe need to leave some of this stuff behind. Maybe it's time for me to think about Saying, you know what, I, I, I've been serving God. But I've been doing it pretty comfortably. I see that it took a community. Mordecai, Hathak, Esther, all the Jews. Number two, I, I see that risk was involved. Man, we live in a culture that tells us over and over and over again not to risk. Play it safe. Diversify. Make sure that you always have an ace in the hole. Esther said, you know what, if I perish, I perish. Jesus said to the disciples, you're plan A and I don't have plan B. And they said, we're in. Esther risked everything she had. The last thing I see is that an entire nation was impacted. An entire nation Because she was willing to say, you know what, I will step out and even if it costs me my life, an entire nation was saved. I asked you yesterday and I'll continue to ask because I ask myself, what difference will your life make in eternity? Maybe, just maybe, God's calling you to be a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. So that an entire nation would know him because of your life. I don't know about you, but when God talks about me, I want him to talk about me the way he talked about John the Baptist. I don't want to be a reed swaying in the wind, I don't want to wear fancy clothes and play it safe in a king's palace. I want to be a forceful man who lays hold and and advances the kingdom of God. And I want to invite you to join me. Even as you're already doing it. May we continue to say, God, work mightily in us and through us. Let us be forceful people for the kingdom of God. No regrets, no reserves. All out, fully committed, no matter what happens, followers of God. Community, risk, and impact. Let's pray together.
In the silence, I want to challenge you to think about that. To ask yourself those difficult questions between you and God. God, help, help me understand what that means. We've talked about it this week, that belief means action. So I want to give you an opportunity tonight just to say, you know what, that's what I want. Maybe you know crystal clear what it means. Maybe you're saying, you know what, God, I'm not sure. But I know that there's nothing in my life more important than what God wants. And if that takes me to another place, then so be it. If that keeps me here, so be it. But like Esther... Like Andy, like Brian, like little Freddie, I'm willing to say yes. I want to be a fully committed, no matter what happens, follower of God. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to. If God's been speaking to you, then say, hey, I need to do something about this. So what I want to do is I just want to pray, and then when I'm done, if that's you tonight, and you say, hey, that's what I want. I want to be fully committed no matter what happens, follow God. Then I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet. And I want you to, to really grapple with this between you and God. Don't, don't stand for me. That would be the silliest reason possible. Don't stand because the person next to you does. It's, it's really between you and God and ultimately this community to say, that's what I want. Lord, again, I thank you as we have this week for your word. Lord, continue to change our lives for the truth of your word. Thank you that we don't do it alone. Thank you again for your son, for your spirit. Lord, thank you for this body of believers. But Lord, life's too short and health's too hot for us just to sit. I believe you are calling us to be fully committed. No matter what happens, the good, the bad, and everything in between, to be a follower of you. Not as a part of our life, but as our very life. So Lord, I pray that you continue to speak. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And if that's you, you'd say, you know, ask me. I want to be a fully committed follower of God. I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet. Amen. My encouragement to you would be to, to wrestle with that. What does that mean in my life? What do I do about that? What does that mean in my career? What does that mean in my home? What does that mean in my relationships? And for some of you, that may be crystal clear tonight. You say, you know what? I know this is the direction God's calling me to go. And for some of you, you may say, you know what? I I, I need the help of the community. I need the Mordecai in my life. I need the Haythak. I need the Esther to say, you know what? Here's what I think it means. 
We need each other. Here's the last thing I'm going to ask you to do, and I'm going to ask you to do it quickly because I know it's late. But I want you just to get in small groups of three or four people around you and just take those people's hands. No, no bigger than three or four people because it, it takes a while. And then just in a short one-sentence, two-sentence prayer, pray around that circle. God, use us in a mighty way to impact this planet until everyone has heard about Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to do that right now. Just circle up with three or four people right close to where you're at. Grab their hands and just stop and pray together. The last thing I encourage you to do is share. Share with each other. Share with your spouse. Share with your kids. Share with each other. What is God saying? What is God doing in your life? Way too many times as Christians, we measure the outside and assume the inside. It's not making assumptions. Let's ask each other those internal questions. And then we'll be excited together to see what God's doing in us and what God will do through us to His honor and His glory to impact this planet. It's been our privilege. Thanks for letting us be here for a few days. God bless you. And you're dismissed.